All righty. Had a little trouble turning it off. Welcome to EJR, or as I call it, the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff. I am the producer and host. Uh, here we are on Blog Talk Radio. I apologize that we've been on hiatus for about five weeks. Needed to retool and, and kind of try to reformulate what we're attempting to do here. So I'm going to be experimenting with a couple different formats. There are going to be times when it's definitely going to sound more academic, more professional, and other times more conversational. All right? Um, so kind of bear with me. Um, bear with my little asthmatic self because I know the coughing is coming. I can feel it. Um, such are the blessings of living in such a polluted era. <clears throat> there we go. So right on cue. Got my hot tea here. Don't you just love on a on a kind of a dreary? It's springtime, but here in St. Louis, it's it's different from Florida. Here in St. Louis, you know, it's still kind of like winter. All right, we've been known to even get a little bit of snow in May. It just is what it is. And the old joke in St. Louis is, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. It'll change. Okay, so. Today's show, uh, as I said, the Environmental Justice Report, or EJR, has been on hiatus. We are back now, and we're going to be looking at a variety of different things. Obviously, the environmental justice issues and looking at environmental issues through that justice lens, uh, with special focus always on environmental racism. And you could add, uh, to go hand in hand, economic caste because it's not the Jeff Bezos and the Bill Gates and their families that are suffering in the worst of this climate devastation that is occurring right before our eyes. It's just everyday people working a job who, let's face it, none of us are really hurting government. We just aren't, but that's another story. So uh, today's story, the main focus is going to be on the IPCC report. And the IPCC, for those of you that are neophytes and don't really know what I'm talking about, that acronym stands for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Now, this is the panel that's been kind of partially, uh, I guess, formed in conjunction with uh, various world governments and the United Nations. And this is something where They've come up with different report cards. This ties in with the big climate conference that we saw in Glasgow, you know, you know, early, you know, back a couple months ago, uh, and all that nonsense where nothing much was really actually done. Um, not to blame the IPCC. I blame the politicians and the big money interest because the last climate conference, the one in Glasgow, and we reported on it here in the show, there were more fossil fuel lobbyists on hand at that climate conference than there were actual scientists and other governmental uh, representatives. They were allowed to walk the halls, influence things. Now, mind you, the fossil fuel industry, there, there's, there's no guesswork here. The fossil fuel industry is the primary culprit in this global climate devastation, period. That's it, folks. All right. And the IPCC's come up with several reports recently. They're supposed to come up with one every seven years, but they've been feeding it up. The last report, this really was a climate report card. And, for instance, there was one um, reporter, oh, God, what was his name? Matthew, I can't remember. Anyway, it's in here. There was one reporter from the BBC British Broadcasting uh, Center, and, you know, very credible news source, top of the line. And he mentioned, you know, he was quoting from the 63-page IPC report, except that really wasn't accurate. The 63-page part of it was actually the summary. The report itself is over 2,000 pages, and it involves scientists from all over the world, thousands Thousands of scientists worldwide participated in this last report. So it's, it's really kind of sad that 
a reporter for the renowned BBC got his facts wrong. Okay? The 63 or 64-pager was a summary. I know. I looked at it. I downloaded it. I didn't download the 2,800-page whatever, but I did download the summary. And it's something that everybody can check themselves. Now, I know I'm doing a lot of talking here because this is that kind of show. Uh, I'm going to let you guys know. Usually this show I don't get callers, but occasionally on the Sunday show, the new show, we do get callers. And if I'm going to take callers, I will announce it at the beginning of the show. And if you don't hear that announcement, then no. Not going to take callers because I know that the whole new media thing, whether it's your Substack or, you know, the older model from HuffPost or whatever, is this you're supposed to have a conversation. Well, you have conversations with friends and acquaintances. Um, you don't have new shows. New shows come from actual journalists, of which, yes, I consider myself one. Uh, this is a more um, conversational and casual format today. Uh, again, I'm more of a writer. I prefer the written mode. And you can check out any of my writings just by Googling my name, Janine Moloff. You can see the old writings that I wrote extensively on Huffington Post, Op-Ed News. I'm now a featured columnist on BuzzFlash and Nation of Change. That being said, this whole conversational thing where commenters come in, it's not going to happen, getting back to the subject, because, see, my colleagues and I, we pay for this airtime, all right? And I'm not going to let some conservative or libertarian freeloader come on, monopolize the time, and, and just cause problems. It's not going to happen. If they don't like it, they can, they can do a show themselves. So once again, I don't think that those conversations constitute news. This is a news show, albeit today it's more casual than usual, but it's still about news. You could call it editorial because, yes, it, I, I'm not going to say that I'm unbiased. I have a bias. I'm very much a progressive, and I won't, I won't shy away from it. But even with editorials, I always give full documentation. So let's move on. So the IPCC's latest report, the, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, if you saw the advert, it's basically saying we are heading towards global climate disaster unless we change our ways and, yes, end the use of fossil fuels. There was absolutely no doubt about the findings. These were findings, again, thousands of scientists worldwide participated in the formation and creation of this report. To put it bluntly, we are on a highway to hell, literally, quite literally. So the report's going to discuss the issue, and I'm going to ask some tough questions of our leaders and really of ourselves, our national and international conscience. I don't have any answers, and I'm not going to pretend to, but I do know one thing, that burying our collective heads in the sand won't work. We have to really question ourselves. Is it morally right for us to leave such devastation after we're gone that we leave a planet for our children or grandchildren that is largely uninhabitable? Okay? This is a matter of conscience. This is a matter of morality backed by science. So let's go on with it. One thing I'll mention is this. This is zero hour. This is a climate emergency. I wish the Biden administration would actually designate this as a climate emergency, but he won't. Both Democrats and Republicans are still pushing fossil fuels like a drug dealer pushes crack on the corner. Make no mistake about it. In fact, I would say that the people in power worldwide both the politicians who are their syncophants and the billionaire class, the oligarchs, whatever you want to call them, they run the world, and we are being run by a group, small group of addicts. And their drug of choice, very simply, is power, money, and status. Maybe some idol worship as well. 
There is nothing else. Make no mistake about it. So this story isn't just about the U.S. Globally, we watch in horror governments, as I said before, controlled by the oligarchy, the 1%, the billionaire caste, continue to push fossil fuels even when the main bulk of scientific evidence clearly states that fossil fuels are the greatest central threat to the planet. Now, the IPCC report says this, says the situation is dire, and yet, here's the kicker. Even the IPCC report, according to The Guardian, which is a very good newspaper, has been, quote, watered down. Think about that for a minute. When they say watered down, in other words, they mean that the IPCC report was frankly too strong and it was watered down at the demand of government representatives. Translation, the IPCC report was so strong and threatened the fossil fuel industry, the same fossil fuel industry that controls all the politicians and the big banks as well, that the government reps had it watered down. In other words, they censored the report. You want to call it cancel culture? Fine. They censored the report because it was too strong. They couldn't deal with the truth, the truth that is going to affect all of us. There is no gated community where the Bill Gates and the Elon Musk of this world can hide. I don't know. Maybe that's why they built that giant penis rocket so they think they could go to the moon or something. I have no idea. Good tea. Let's move on. So according to The Guardian, this report, which was released on Monday of this week, today's Thursday, was the third and the last section of the latest comprehensive review regarding climate science by the IPCC. And it literally involved the work of thousands, thousands of scientists. And these IPC reports typically take about seven years to complete. All right, so this is not something they came up with off the last minute. And according to The Guardian, this really could be the, quote, last warning before the world is set irrevocably on a path to climate breakdown, end quote. So my question again, what will it take? We're trapped in a world run by billionaires, corporate behemoths, and the political and a corporate attorney class that work as syncophants to give these spoiled billionaires whatever they damn well want. So we're going to discuss the main findings of the report. We won't discuss it in as much depth as I would like because I just saw this. I haven't had time to really go through it all. Don't worry because guess what? We're going to be revisiting this report a lot in the coming months. Okay? And I also will be writing about it most likely in BuzzFlash and Nation of Change and Op-Ed News. Really anyone else will have me, but again, my publishing home is Buzz Flash. Have to put that in there. Uh, oh, excuse me. <coughs> oh, man. I really need to move to a drier climate. Anyway, the first article I'm going to talk about is not just the IPCC report, but something that happened just yesterday that mainstream media really didn't report much on. And again, because Mainstream media, a.k.a. also known as corporate media, they, those reporters aren't going to ever be full, fully truthful journalists. They can't because their bosses are the corporation. Okay. They don't have any true um, journalistic independence. They just don't. It doesn't matter if it's CNN or the Beeb on, you know, on TV. It doesn't matter if it's MSNBC or Fox. You know, if you really want some good news, some good journalism, you pretty much have to read it. And you need to go to places like ProPublica, which has earned several Pulitzers, BuzzFlash, several others. So let's move on. This piece was from a, one of those sources called Common Dreams. 
the progressive site. Really good journalism, though. Um, and the headline is, quote, dozens arrested as scientists worldwide mobilized to demand climate revolution. And then there's a picture here. This happened just yesterday, April 6th, of scientists engaging in civil disobedience all over the world. The picture was of these scientists on the steps of what they call the Congress of Deputies in Madrid, Spain, which is like their parliament or Congress. Uh, one scientist was quoted, quote, if everyone could see what I see coming, society would switch into climate emergency mode and end fossil fuels in just a few years, end quote. Now, before some of you go into a hissy fit, we can't live without fossil fuels. Look, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, where the weather is always difficult. We have cold winters and hot summers. So we have a need for energy. And the fact is, solar, wind, and some other renewables, yes, can work. Unfortunately, for someone like me, who's, I guess, what you used to call middle class, I can't afford to install solar panels. I wish I could. In order for this to happen, and this is going to be one of the things we talk about at the end, we need government uh, we need government to take away fossil fuel subsidies and reinvest in average people, especially low-income and middle-income people, so that they can literally write them a check to pay for renewable furnaces, AC units, and whatever. That's it. It could happen. We should make the rich pay for the damage they cause because the rich cause this. Make no mistake about it. We're all complicit. But the rich pushed it. You know, just like, um, and again, I know I'm off topic a little bit here. I think it was back in the late 70s, these two guys figured out how to make just a regular car, nothing fancy, how to get 200 miles out of a gallon of gas. Now, of course, I think it was a fossil fuel company that bought it up. And then, of course, they buried it. See, that's the problem. When you have predatory capitalism, not regular capitalism, predatory capitalism, they made sure this thing never saw the light of day because they want to get every bit of, of um, profit out of it, nothing else. That's why I say they're like drug dealers. They're addicts. So just yesterday... What happened in this article, in Common Dreams, the journalist's name is Jake Johnson, and he's a regular staffer at Common Dreams. Uh, it starts out with, quote, more than a thousand scientists across the globe chained themselves, I'm reading from it, to the doors of oil-friendly banks, blocked bridges, and occupied the steps of government buildings to send an urgent message to the international community. Namely, that the ecological crisis is accelerating and only a climate revolution will be enough to avert catastrophe, end quote. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, one of the quotes was, quote, world leaders are still expanding the fossil fuel industry as fast as they can, but this is insane. And the organizers of this protest build this as, quote, the world's largest ever scientist-led civil disobedience campaign. And it kicked off just a few days after the IPCC released its most recent report, as documented by Common Dream. Um, and this last report really paints a very grim state of affairs. <clears throat> and they talk about how the global effort to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius um, by centuries end, this was the target set by the Paris Accord, has become a cruel joke. Uh, one of the report's authors explained during a press call, quote, unless there are, and this is one of the report's authors from the IPCC, a scientist, quote, unless there are immediate and deep emissions reductions across all sectors, 1.5 degrees Celsius is beyond reach. Now, this has nothing to do with the net zero bullshit. Excuse my language. Net zero is a con that was actually created in the public relations offices that work for the fossil fuel industry 
to basically make it look like the politicians were actually getting something done when they weren't. Net zero saying, <clears throat> we're not going to pollute any more than we are right now, which is way too much. So net zero, whether it's Donald Trump saying it or the, pre, the administration before him of Barack Obama or Joe Biden makes no difference, net zero is bullshit and it won't work. It's not enough to just say, we won't pollute anymore. We'll keep polluting at this. Net zero saying, we're going to keep polluting at the same levels we are right now, but no more than that. Okay, that's akin, net zero is kind of like an alcoholic saying, you know, I, I drank two-fifths of some whiskey the other day, but you know what, from now on, I'm going to make a pledge. I won't ever drink more than two-fifths of, uh, you know, whiskey a day. It's still way too much. It's absurd. You know, net zero's a con. It's bullshit. Saying we won't pollute any more than we are now isn't enough. We need to cut our pollution levels drastically. Now, the people that organized this protest of scientists also warned they blew the whistle. And they were the ones that said the IPCC's report language was watered down. Okay? And this was a document about common dreams in another article uh, dated back to this past August. Article title was Fearing Government Whitewash, Scientists Leaked Draft of the IPCC Report Urging Bold Emission Cuts. So back in August, these scientists were warning, because they, when you say whitewash, they knew their report was going to be censored. And when you censor something, you're basically planning a big lie. That's all. And this it was watered down at the behest, quote at the behest of governments unwilling to. So I'm going to read this back. Quote warning that the IPCC's report's language was watered down at the behest of governments unwilling to rapidly phase out fossil fuels. Scientists and their allies took that message further during their direct action on Wednesday, namely yesterday, operating under the slogan "1.5 degrees Celsius is dead. Climate revolution now." End quote. I think that's pretty clear. A little more tea. I don't know how long my voice is going to last. U.S. climate scientist Peter Kalmus quoted. He said, quote, I'm taking action because I feel desperate. Now, Mr. Peter Kalmus, the climate scientist, um, chained himself with some others to the front door of a J.P. Morgan Chase building in Los Angeles. Okay. There was a recent report that found that J.P. Morgan Chase is the biggest private funder of oil and gas initiatives in the world, end quote. And that was an article that was run uh, back in March, just a few days ago. Quote, uh, headline was, despite splashy net zero vows, big banks dumping trillions of fossil, into fossil fuels. Okay. All right. So Kalmus went on to say, quote, it's the 11th hour in terms of Earth breakdown, and I feel terrified for my kids and terrified for humanity. World leaders are still expanding the fossil fuel industry as fast as they can, but this is insane. The science clearly indicates that everything we hold dear is at risk, including even civilization itself and the wonderful, beautiful, cosmically precious life on this planet. I actually don't get how any scientist who understands this could possibly stay on the sidelines at this point, end quote. And like I said, this was part of the demonstration by scientists in L.A. Calmus was one of the scientists. Um, there, were, there was a demonstration in D.C. Climate scientists chained themselves to the White House fence. And unlike the January 6th violent insurrectionists, um, these scientists wanted... Uh, wanted Joe Biden to declare a climate emergency. Uh, if he declared a climate emergency, then it would unlock, quote, a range of tools needed to combat global warming. And that is as documented in a February report by Common Dreams uh, titled, New Report Details Exactly What Biden Could Do After Declaring Climate Emergency. So that, these scientists, they chained themselves to the White House fence. That's all they did. In fact, I think one of them was Rose Abramoff. She's older. 
and they were arrested immediately. Mind you, though, the insurrectionists of January 6th were violent. They, you know, people died, and quite a few of them were not arrested. They were allowed to leave because they were being bankrolled by, you know, billionaires. So don't lecture me about how we have equal protection under the law. It's not. And you know what? I would also say that our U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland should really take note. The other, the other hypocrisy is this. While Trump has still not been arrested and charged, even though another federal judge said there's plenty to indict him on right now, these climate scientists were arrested immediately for civil disobedience by chaining themselves to the White House fence. Notice the discrepancy in treatment. Police malfeasance in fealty to the rich and powerful. And again, one of the D.C. protesters was a scientist by the name of Dr. Rose Abramoff. Um, she was arrested and she explained, quote, we have not made the changes necessary to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, rendering this goal effectively impossible. We need to both understand the consequences of our inaction as well as limit fossil fuel emissions as much and as quickly as possible. I'm taking action to urge governments and society to stop ignoring the collective findings of decades of research. Let's make this crisis impossible to ignore. This is not new research. Decades. And the fact is, and it's a, I don't know if anybody in D.C. listens, but I'm pleading with Joe Biden, with President Biden, if he declared this a climate emergency, apparently there is a whole tool chest of things that he could do. But he won't because he's corporate. Just what it is. So these acts of civil disobedience by scientists were global. You know, in Madrid, Spain, scientists, I'm reading straight from this, scientists splashed red paint on the walls and steps of the Congress of Deputies to decry lawmakers' inaction in the face of the existential climate threat, end quote. More than 50 scientists were arrested during that demonstration, according to the organizers. Um, this was a Twitter account called Scientist Rebel Number 1. In Germany, scientists also mobilized. They blocked a bridge near the country's parliament buildings, warning in The Guardian, okay? So there was an op-ed, in other words, an editorial published in the Guardian newspaper yesterday. And this was, again, Mr. Kalmus, well, one scientist we mentioned, who warned that, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> give me a second, folks. So there was an op-ed, an editorial published in the Guardian yesterday. And the science, Mr. Kalmus, one of the scientists, warned that, quote, Earth breakdown is much worse than most people realize. Thomas went on to say, quote, the, the science indicates that as fossil fuels continue to heat our planet, everything we love is at risk. For me, one of the most horrific aspects of all of this is the juxtaposition of present day and near future climate disasters with the business as usual occurring all around me. It's so surreal that I often find myself reviewing the science to make sure it's really happening, a sort of scientific nightmare arm pinch. Yes, it's really happening. If everyone could see what I see coming, society would switch into climate emergency mode and end fossil fuels in just a few years, end quote. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Knew this was going to happen, folks. Hmm. All right. But I lasted a whole 30 minutes this time. Yay. So... This particular article dealing with all these scientists and their protests worldwide that were, for the most part, ignored. We were too busy talking about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Stupid. Silly. We were too busy talking about the elevation of Ketanji Brown-Jackson, which I applaud. Don't get me wrong. She's confirmed. Congratulations. I'm glad. But it's not, even though it's symbolic and it's important that way, in the hierarchy, it's not as important as this. You know, we saw one highly educated 
woman of color elevated. And while it's symbolic, again, it doesn't do anything for this. Okay, it just doesn't. And part is because Jess Jackson isn't a progressive. She never was. <clears throat> but anyway, back to this. <coughs> this protest by scientists worldwide where the scientists were arrested and ignored by the media reminds me of the new disaster movie that has been playing titled Don't Look Up, where everybody was warned that, you know, this asteroid's going to come, it's going to destroy the Earth, and they they allowed the rich and powerful to buy into it, and, you know, the worst happened. We don't have full accountability and transparency, and we can't solve this problem if we don't. That's just it in a nutshell. It doesn't matter if you're a conservative or a progressive. This is about the survival of the planet and all life on it. That's it. Now, oh, the BBC reporter that mistakenly um, called the 63-page IPCC report the full report instead of the summary, uh, his name's Matt McGrath. He's the environment correspondent for the BBC. Now, he did do a good, a good uh, piece on climate change, titled Climate Change IPCC Scientist Report, Five Ways to Save the Planet. I just, and again, it could have been just a typo, but I got a little testy when somebody like him calls this 63-page report, represents it as the full report, when it isn't. That was the summary. The full report is over 2,000 pages. Closer, yeah, I think it's like 20, almost 2,900 pages, something like that. But let's go on to his his uh, piece, okay? And he's looking back at COP26, you know, again, the big climate conference that was, you know, a big fraud. There's a reason why the kids from Extinction Rebellion are screaming bloody murder. Because they're right. There's a reason why Greta Thunberg is shaming people, because she's right. <clears throat> she's not getting anything out of this. But the big money behind fossil fuel is. Okay. There are some five key five. I, all right. There. Let me start back again. Oof, little intellectual fart there. All right. Um, yes, I said that. McGrath wrote. He took basically five key ideas that are critical, according to the report, to try and keep the world safe, as he puts it which, again, is toning the language down a great bit. Um, and they are, number one, coal is on the dole again. Two, pie in the sky gets real. He has these cutesy little titles. Three, curbing demand is a secret weapon. Four, cooling the planet with cash. And five, eat the rich or copy them. So he thinks he's being cute. It's not cute. But let's go over this. Um, these, again, the IPCC report, these are UN scientists. They created this plan, so it isn't just, you know, this dire warning. It does have some suggestions. Again, I'm sure the suggestions that were pushed in the mainstream media, like even the BBC, have been watered down. But here we are, coal. Now, this is the one where he says, quote, the 63 dense pages of this IPCC report are littered with qualifications and dense footnotes. Uh, but all the verbiage can't hide the scientist's central message. If the world wants to steer clear of dangerous warming, fossil fuels are toast. Keeping the world under 1.5 degrees Celsius requires emissions to peak, well, they can't get any higher, by 2025, which again, two and a half, three years away, the researchers say, and shrink, shrink by 43% by the end of this. And the most effective way of making that switch is to generate energy from sustainable sources like wind and solar, okay, uh, end quote. Now, <clears throat> again, the 63 pages are not the full report. They are the summary. That's me just being a little nitpicky, I guess. Um, the authors of the IPCC report, according to Ms. McGrath, also point to the fact that the cost of these renewables uh, technologies like wind and solar have come down approximately 85% across the decade from 2010, but they're still unreachable for people like me. Again, I say 
strip the fossil fuel industry of the subsidies they no longer need, give them to these other cut these other renewable industries, and give a subsidy to the non-rich, the majority of the population, that is enough to uh, fund basically the replacement cost of replacing your gas or your electric furnace with, you know, solar or wind, and the same with your AC unit. Um, that's the only way we're going to get this done. You know, you can't blame lower-income people. They're doing the best you can. I had to replace my furnace this midwinter, and I looked into some renewables. They were Even though they went down in price, at least in my area, in the St. Louis area, they were still anywhere from double to triple the cost, so I had to stick with gas. You know, and even then, that was practically $3,000. That's not a small amount of money for the average wage earner. It just isn't. So we're going to need subsidies, okay, just like they did during COVID, to replace our furnaces, to replace our AC units, and, yeah, to maybe retrofit our cars so that they run on a battery and on electricity. But even then, put money back into great mass transit. I know I'm kind of div- I'm kind of going off here. So he also this author also points out the fact that the war in Ukraine is also making European governments look at you know using coal and things like that again. Um, you know, and the temperature of the planet, as well as the politics, according to him, the IPCC, according to the report, believes that coal especially should just be finally retired for good because it's the dirtiest of all. Um, Professor Jan Christoph Minks from the University of Leeds, who is also an IPCC coordinating lead author, had the following to say about this. Quote, I think that's a very strong message, no new coal power plants. Otherwise, you're really risking 1.5 degrees Celsius. He goes on to say, quote, I think the big message coming from here is we need to end the age of fossil fuel. And we don't only need to end it, but we need to end it very quickly, end quote. Now, the second suggestion from the scientists in the IPCC report is that, you know, there are some technological tricks. You know, a few years ago, that author talked about how a technological fix, whether it was spraying things into the atmosphere, hoping to cool the earth by blocking out the sun with space-based shields, et cetera, those ideas were mocked. All right, but we're in such dire straits now. It's kind of one of those things where every little bit helps, and that besides cutting our emissions drastically and going to renewables, yeah, we need to also look at some of these technologies that really haven't been proven yet, though. All right, that's the other thing. So there's CDR, carbon dioxide removal. It has gone mainstream. And it has the endorsement of the IPCC in the latest report. Um, there is opposition from some environmentalists because they're accusing the IPCC of basically giving in to the demands of the fossil fuel producing countries and putting too much emphasis on these technologies, which, again, uh, have been, they're unproven. Okay? Some of these technologies haven't even been fully created yet. They're still in the planning stages. Um, and that's part of the problem. So they quoted Linda Schneider from the Heinrich Boll Foundation in Berlin, and Ms. Schneider said the following, quote the, major co- quote, the major shortcoming that I see is that the report is way too weak on the rapid phase-out of fossil fuels. I would have hoped that the report would have put forward the most reliable kind of safe pathway towards 1.5 degrees Celsius without an overshoot and reliance on technologies that we just don't know if they will work, end quote. And I agree with her. These technologies, again, they're unproven. And by tech, these technologies, I mean, you know, things like using space shields to block out the sun and um, carbon dioxide removal and so on and so forth. These are technologies that, one, according to the consensus of scientists worldwide, unproven. We don't know if they'll be effective or harmful. And two, some of these same technologies haven't even been fully developed yet or created. They're still in the planning stages. So, you know, again, we have to cut emissions. So the IPCC 
recommending some of these text fixes, you know, other than cutting emissions and going to renewables, truly renewables, they're seen by scientists as just the IPC caving in to the demands of politicians and the fossil fuel industry to buy time. And I agree with her. Um, just is. Another thing the IPCC report said is curbing demand is a secret weapon. Okay, it's absolutely critical. We have to. And this deals with social science. To one of the ways we're going to reduce demand for energy, especially fossil fuel energy, and getting people willing to take mass transit, willing to use electric cars, is to change people's attitudes. Okay, right now here in the Midwest, I got into it with a friend. All I said was we're going to have to change our ways, and, you know, these electric cars are coming out. She went off. It was straight from the Fox playbook. She wasn't going to drive any goddamn electric car, and it goes 10 blocks, and then it dies. And you have to plug it in like you would your phone and went off. And I looked at her, and I said, well, yeah, eventually the battery is going to need to be recharged, but let's say it goes 300 miles. How is that any different than putting a full tank of gas in your car and it goes 300 miles and then you have to refill? It's the same thing. She had such a psychological reaction to it because in a lot of places around the world, having a car at your disposal at all times is a status symbol. And not having a car, being forced to ride public transit is viewed as, you must be a real loser. It's viewed as low class. I'm not kidding. And we're going to have to fight that mentality. We've got to win these people over. You know, and one of the ways is to get through their little thick skulls that their selfishness is going to result in a planet that is largely uninhabitable for their kids and grandkids. And do they really want that on their conscience? Whether you're conservative or, or progressive, that, that's how we have to get through to these people, that what we're doing is immoral. Okay? And it's not just about transportation. This is a bunch of areas that we have to look at. Low-carbon diets, food waste. Low-carbon diets, that means, again, an end to agribusiness. Let's go back to, you know, family farms and subsidize them and help them. Uh, that means, yes, cutting your meat way down. That means getting rid of food waste. Grocery stores taught stuff because it doesn't look perfect. That's insane. We have to look at how we build our cities, according to this report. I would say how we build not just cities, but everything. Uh, you know, people move out to the burbs because they don't want to be near anyone. But then you have, you know, in St. Louis, for instance, if you're without a car, it is very difficult to get around because our mass transit is not good. So we have to look at that and how we shift people to, again, these more carbon, these more friendly transport options. Okay. According to the IPCC, the changes in those areas could limit emissions, quote, from end use sectors by 40 to 70 percent by 2050, uh, and it would improve everybody's health. Um, and that's a big goal, but this report is very specific and very detailed. And even the author admits, yes, it will take incentives from governments. Cooling the planet with cash. Okay, these little cutesy titles that this BBC reporter puts, it really kind of belittles the subject. I don't appreciate it. So basically, the IPCC is saying, look, there's too much money that's going toward fossil fuel, the fossil fuel industry and not enough investment in energy climate solutions. And one of the things they say, big time, is remove fossil fuel subsidies. And that's the easiest way right there. According to this uh, article, quote, if fossil fuel subsidies from governments were removed, this will reduce emissions by up to 10% by 2030, according to Greenpeace. Okay. Uh, it goes on to say, quote, in the longer term, the IPCC says that models that incorporate the economic damages caused by climate change show that the global cost of limiting warming to 2 degrees Celsius over the century is lower 
than the global economic benefits of reducing warming. It goes on to say, quote, keeping temperatures well under two degrees Celsius cost a bit more, but not much, given the avoided damages and wide range of co-benefits such as cleaner air and water. Again, we've seen just recently how many tornadoes touched down just yesterday in the U.S., I think in Oklahoma. When I was growing up, we, yeah, the Midwest is known as Tornado Alley, but we never heard of 13 tornadoes in a short span of time, okay? The wildfires in California that keep going out of control, uh, you know, it just goes on and on and on. This is not normal global activity. Uh, they quoted a professor, Michael Grubb, from University College in London. He is also a coordinated lead, coordinating lead author of the report, and he said the following, quote, if you take the most aggressive scenarios in the entire report, it would cost at most 0.1%, in other words, one-tenth of a percent of the rate of annual GDP growth assumed. One-tenth of one percent, that's all it would take. But it would cut into the profits of the very rich. And the last part uh, this BBC report talked about is titled Eat the Rich or Copy Them. They're basically saying, according to the IPCC report, the households, the 10% of households that have the highest per capita emissions, in other words, the richest households contribute up to 45% of consumption-based household greenhouse gas emissions, end quote. And mobility is one of the main uh, culprits for wealthier people because they, you know, they have private jets. I mean, think about that. Every time they get on a private jet, back and forth, back and forth. Okay? It's horribly wasteful. Um, the IPCC authors also believe the rich have some other roles to play. Um, now, this says, quote, in helping the world towards net zero. Uh, we don't want net zero. Net zero is bullshit. We want to have a livable planet. But uh, they quoted Professor Patrick Devine Wright, who is also an IPCC lead author from the University of Exeter. And Professor Wright said the following, quote, wealthy individuals contribute disproportionately to higher emissions, so they have a high potential for emissions reduction whilst maintaining high levels of well-being and a decent living standard. He goes on to say, quote, I think there are individuals with high socioeconomic status who are capable of reducing their emissions by becoming role models of low-carbon lifestyles by choosing to invest in low-carbon businesses and opportunities and by lobbying for stringent climate policies, end quote. So this article in the BBC by Matt McGrath was pretty good, but once again, he's referring towards net zero. This net zero was this wonderful thing. Net zero is bullshit. Net zero is basically saying, we promise we won't pollute any more than we already are, but it doesn't do anything about reducing the pollution. So we're still on a highway to hell. That's the bottom line. And net zero was a scam that was devised in public relations offices. These were public relations companies that worked directly for the fossil fuel industry. There is no politician that should be uttering the phrase net zero. Because if they are, we know they're bought and paid for by fossil fuel like the whores and bitches they are. I'm just saying it because I'm tired of it. This is serious. You know, I'm 62 years old. This won't affect me as much. But it will affect people's children, their grandkids, and so on. And, yeah, I do care. I think it's absolutely the height of immorality. This is immoral that we are going to leave behind a planet that will be largely uninhabitable because we're too selfish and too childish to behave as adults and do the right thing and help each other. Just saying it. Okay. So there's some other things too. We're not going to cover everything today because once again, there's plenty to cover. And today we really talked more about not just the IPCC report, but how this protest by scientists was covered up in the mainstream media. Absolutely asinine. The Guardian 
which is a very fine newspaper. You can get it online. doesn't cost you anything. Um, did a series. There are three of these series. The last one is, um, it says, IPCC report now or never if world is to stave off climate disaster. Greenhouse gas emissions must peak by 2025, say climate scientists, and what is in effect their final warning. Now, I was talking to a student of mine because I still teach online, kid 17, and he's like, well, that's it. There's nothing we can do about it. We're just screwed. And I'm just going, no, that's not what this means. We can't give in either. It just, but when I countered with it means that you may not have that car when you're 16 by yourself. He didn't like that, but, you know, I grew up in an era where the only people who had more than one car were rich people. You know, by rich, I mean affluent. Everyone else had one family car. That was it. So if you were a teenager and you wanted to go on a date, you had to borrow your parents' car. It won't kill them. We got on bicycles and rode around. We took public transit. We've become very selfish and very spoiled. And the sad part is while this young man, he's a nice young man, a lot of kids think that, well, there's nothing we can do because they don't want to give up their privileges. On the other hand, you know, I am part of a group with what's called the Glory Futures Foundation. And the young man that runs it is desperately trying to help children in his native Bangladesh. Now, Bangladesh is so heavily polluted due to, yeah, Western mining interest, okay, that their soil is depleted. They used to have some of the richest farm soil in the world. Now it's depleted and worthless. And even if you were to try and do that, um, it's so full of lead and arsenic and all sorts of stuff as well as their water that it's not safe to do that. So we're trying to get started a container gardening project. And we will be talking more about that because we're trying to fundraise because we're going to have to buy potting soil. You know, there's this one other group um, in the small area of Africa where they're doing sack gardening, but their, their soil is not polluted like that. We can't do sack gardening. We're going to need plastic containers. We're, you know, we're going to need water filtration systems, not just for viruses, but also uh, what's called a reverse osmosis system to filter out lead and things like that. We're going to need help them buy potting soil just so they can raise vegetables to feed their children. You know, say re relate that, you know, quite a few children in Bangladesh just drop dead from malnutrition and starvation. This is criminal. And I'm hoping I can have Sade on the show. That's the young man's name. I think he's a 20-something wonderful human being. Uh, and so when I compare what young people in Bangladesh are trying to do to young people here, especially young white people, I'm ashamed of this country. I truly am. So, you know, this is this last report that was in The Guardian. Um, you know, the report found that, yes, it was almost inevitable with the phrase they used, that temperatures would rise above 1.5 degrees Celsius. And 1.5 degrees Celsius is the estimated level where many of the effects of climate breakdown, where the climate's just being destroyed, will become irreversible. Okay? But the IPCC also said that it might be possible to reverse that. Even though they say it will become irreversible, we might be able to bring it back, the temperature back down. Um, but they're not sure. Okay? It's scary but you can't fix a problem by running away from it. Now, again, the watering down of the report, which, again, the BBC reporters should have known better, um, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Gutierrez, he called out these governments, including the U.S., as liars, and liars when it came to their claims on climate mitigation efforts. Uh, Gutierrez said that these governments and businesses, some of them were lying, as they claim to be on track for 1.5 degrees Celsius, he issued a very strongly worded rebuke where Gutierrez said, quote, 
some governments and business leaders are saying one thing but doing another. Simply put, they are lying, and the results will be catastrophic, end quote. Again, it's just that obvious. Um, and, you know, we did a show on our Sunday show where we talked about the possibility that, for instance, the war in Ukraine is caused by so many different things, but it's, you know, also, you know, caused by, you know, I guess warring groups that are trying to, um, you know, trying to compete for who gets every fossil fuel dollar. I mean, we're not doing this. Um, Gutierrez, the UN Secretary General, had something to say about, um, you know, the increase in energy prices as it coincides with the Ukrainian war, um, you know, and, the, and how a lot of countries, including the U.S., the U.K. and the EU, are thinking about, you know, really reinvesting heavily in fossil fuels. Um, but the IPCC report said that, you know, increasing it would put 1.5 degrees Celsius beyond reach. Gutierrez went on to say, quote, inflation is rising. And the war in Ukraine is causing food and energy prices to skyrocket. But increasing fossil fuel production will only make matters worse. Now, this article also talks about, they mentioned uh, John Kerry. He is, John Kerry is the U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate. And Kerry called the report, quote, a defining moment for our planet. Kerry went on to say, quote, the report tells us that we are currently falling short in our battle to avoid the worst consequences of the climate crisis and mobilize the urgent global action needed. But importantly, the report also tells us we have the tools we need to reach our goals, cut greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030, reach net zero by 2050, and secure a healthier, cleaner planet, end quote. Again, I was fine until John Kerry mentioned net zero. Net zero is a lie. And that needs to be taken out. We need to cut our emissions. Net zero is a bullshit stalling tactic, nothing else. So the IPCC working group number three found and decided on these following suggestions. And I'm just going to read straight from this Guardian um, article. The suggestions are the following, quote, coal must be effectively phased out if the world is to stay within 1.5 degrees Celsius and currently planned new fossil fuel infrastructure would cause the world to exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius. Two, methane emissions must be reduced by a third. Number three, growing forests and preserving soils will be necessary, but tree planting cannot do enough to compensate for continued emissions for fossil fuels. Four, investment in the shift to a low-carbon world is about six times lower than it needs to be. And five, all sectors of the global economy from energy and transport to buildings and food must change dramatically and rapidly, and new technologies including hydrogen fuel and carbon capture and storage will be needed, end quote. Now again, CCR, carbon capture and storage, like net zero, is not really legitimate. Um, again, this IPCC report isn't strong enough. This is the watered-down version, which is why these scientists worldwide protested. They were blowing the whistle sky high. Okay? Now, this article also quotes uh, Pete Smith, who's the professor of soils and global change at Aberdeen University, and he said, quote, the time of reckoning is now. We have one decade to get on track. We use fossil fuels and all these things that we need to change, end quote. Um, Madeline Dufsar, who is the chair of the Least Developed Countries Group at the UN Climate Talks, you know, was talking about how this really affects poorer nations. Because keep in mind, it's the poorer nations that suffer the most and the wealthy nations that cause more of the pollution, whether it's reinvestment or whatever. So um, Madeline Dufsar said the following, quote, there can be no new fossil fuel infrastructure. The emissions from existing and planned infrastructure alone 
are higher than scenarios consistent with limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius with no or limited overshoot. We cannot afford to lock in the use of fossil fuels, end quote. Another scientist, Professor Emerita of Energy Policy at Exeter University, and Catherine Mitchell, talked about how poor countries need to be prioritized. She said the following, quote, uh, oh, I like this, quote, unless we have social justice, there are not going to be more accelerated greenhouse gas reductions. These issues are tied together, end quote. Bam. The lady talked about environmental racism. Thank you much. Thank you, Professor Mitchell, because that's what it is. We have to have social justice. We have to face the immorality, the crime against poor nations like the babies in Bangladesh who are starving because their environment is so polluted. For what? For our benefit in the U.S. so some 16-year-old brat can get a brand-new shiny car? Nonsense. And the Guardian also mentions that the publication of the report was delayed by a few hours, um, as documented by the Guardian. Now, I don't quite buy that. I think it was delayed more than a few hours. Yeah. Because the governments were fighting with the scientists in this marathon session. And that it ended late on Sunday night. And this was regarding the final messages in the 63-page summary for policymakers. It's not the report itself. It's merely the summary. Now, and here's the problem with the IPCC, though. The Inter Intercontinental Panel on Climate Change. I'm sorry. Even though the IPCC reports are led by scientists, as documented by The Guardian, quote, governments have input on the final messages in the summary for policymakers, end quote. And that's what it is. The, 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 frankly, the plain fact is governments should have absolutely zero say, no say in the report. It should just be the truth as reported by the scientists. What are their findings? This is an admission of censorship and blatant censorship, and it's not over something trivial. This is about whether or not this whole planet remains habitable, survives. There's more we're going to be talking about in this, but I wanted to give you the basics. We are going to be talking about the IPCC report just extensively, all right? Um, we are going to be most likely on a schedule where EJR will appear once every two weeks, roughly. Um, you know, if something breaks suddenly, that'll be a different story, but yeah. Um, so that's what we have for today. I hope that you enjoyed the, the program. I hope you learned something from it. Um, you know, once again, you can find more information by looking up the IPCC report yourself. If you don't want to read even the 63-page summary, there's some really good reporting from The Guardian, um, far better than what I saw on the BBC, frankly. Um, you can go to Inside Climate News and several others. Again, I want to remind you that if you want to read any of my articles, because, again, I'm more of a writer than a, a broadcaster, um, obviously I have some very old writing. I used to publish pretty extensively on Huffington Post. Uh, my publishing home is now BuzzFlash, but I also publish on Nation of Change and Op-Ed News. You can just Google my name, Janine Moloff, and find my stuff. And if you like it, please share it with others. Uh, check out our Sunday show. That's our news report. And, you know, we're going to keep talking about this climate devastation. You know, again, I don't think we should be calling it global warming, even though scientifically that may be accurate. It doesn't paint a picture that the average person really pays attention to. We're talking about global climate devastation, period. That's it. And we have to change our ways. That's it. We have to stop being so selfish. We also have to stop some of the panic. You know, the minute you mention we have to change our ways, the response is, oh, so we're going to go back to living in the Stone Age? I didn't say that. 
The only way this is going to be workable, especially in nations like the United States, who's a major emitter, there's going to have to be subsidies for low-income and middle-income families that cannot afford to go and get those solar panels, that can't afford to change over their furnace and their AC unit. There's going to have to be uh, subsidies to get people to either retrofit their cars or, you know, change it over to something else because they can't afford it on their own. And we're going to have to have subsidies also to retrain workers in the fossil fuel industry, to retrain workers in the automotive industry. So they go, as we retrofit, they get those jobs, good union jobs. And where are we going to find this money? We can start taking away the fossil fuel subsidies and making the fossil fuel industry pay back those subsidies. That's number one. We can also start with demanding that the very rich pay their fair share in taxes. And I don't mean going from 25% to 35%. You know, we were one of the, we had a great expansion of general wealth in the United States in the 60s to like I'd say the early 70s. And that was because, I mean, it really was from the time of FDR, from the late 1930s till like the mid-70s. And that was because of our tax system. Because the very rich, the Jeff Bezos, the Elon Musk, yeah, they would pay about 90%. But guess what? If you're already a billionaire, 10% of a billion, of several billion is still a lot of money. Because when these people become that ultra-rich, they become ultra-dangerous. You know, we don't have honest government. It doesn't matter if it's Republican or Democrat. We just don't. And this has to change. We have to change society's attitudes towards this as well. Okay, there's a lot coming. And we're going to be talking about not just the environmental issues, we're going to be talking about what needs to happen fiscally, financially, to make this something workable for the average wage earners so they're not the ones that are being punished. Because that's the missing part of the formula. You know, it's easy for you know, somebody who's affluent to go, look at me, I got my brand new electric car and you have a used junker. That's not equity, okay? Our taxes should represent everybody. So we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, more on the environmental disaster. And uh, with that, I say good night and God bless us. <laughs>